1: BJJ Mental Models episode 102. I'm Matt Kwan. Steve couldn't be with me today, so I'm taking the reins. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach. And today I have a very special guest, Mr. Shintaro Higashi. So, Welcome to the show, Shintaro.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So Shintaro is uh, hes an American judoka. He is a six degree dan, coral belt in judo, and he has two academies in New York City. One is Kokushi. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, Kokushi. Kokushi Budo Institute. Kokushi Budo Institute, which is the oldest judo school in New York, if I'm not mistaken, started by his father in, did you say, 1963?
0: Yes, that's correct. 1963.
1: Awesome. And what was the name of the other school? Kano Martial Arts. Kano. So are they both, like you run them both, both those academies?
0: Somewhat. Uh, We have a head instructor at the Kano Academy. So yeah, I don't really, I'm not there every day down there in the, in the Chelsea location, but I do poke in, you know, twice a week, three times a week,
1: something like that. Nice. Yeah. Is teaching judo your full-time job or do you have another job outside of that? Full-time job. Yes. Awesome. Very cool. And I'm looking at your accomplishments here in competition. It says here that you're a multiple time national judo champion. You know, you're a two-time world team member, two-time all-state wrestling, NCAA, and uh, Sambo, Pan American champion. So definitely involved in many different grappling styles. So that's awesome to see so many crossovers, as well as a BJJ brown belt. So definitely a wealth of knowledge. Are you primarily Gi or no Gi?
0: Primarily Gi, but, you know, I wrestled in college. So that was obviously no Gi. I do mix it up a little bit. I think uh they're both very important but I spent probably most of my time in gi.
1: nice do you do a lot of nawaza during the week when you're training like what is sort of the breakdown between your standing training and your uh, nawaza training
0: so I would say like generally like right now everything is shut down still like we don't we can't do group classes in New York City because of the laws but generally when things are pumping and regular classes are going on I would say like a 60 40 split so we do 40 percent of the ground because I do have a little bit of You know, BJJ experience. And I like that stuff also, and I think it's very important. So, but, you know, we're primarily a stand up sort of a thing. That's sort of my expertise.
1: Do you ever uh, pull guard?
0: (laughs) Uh, You know, oddly enough, when I used to go train with some of these guys, you know, it depends on my opponent, right? Sometimes people want to stand and bang, and then I'll give them a little bit of that. But if I really am there to learn jujitsu, or if I'm really there to work and hone on my ground game, there's really no sense of me slamming the person ending up in side position. Right? Mm -hmm. So I try to, you know, I do pull guard, I go for a bad tomonage so the other person could learn to defend a good tomonage. Right. You know, like a tomonage coming from someone experienced and now all of a sudden I'm in the bottom position and my goal obviously is to submit or sweep and then and then the top position and then work from there. Right? So Mm -hmm. yeah, I do pull guard sometimes. Yeah. I'm ashamed to admit it.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Nothing wrong with being a guard puller. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So do you get to train a lot of no-gi still or you're just primarily in the gi, I guess? Uh,
0: not so much. You know, I do a little bit of striking as well, and I guess that's considered no-gi. I know that's not grappling, but, you know, not. I don't train too much no-gi anymore. Probably should. It's good to p- preserve your hands, right? If you're only doing gi, it's re- really hard on the hands, so it's nice to mix
1: it up. That's something I wanted to ask you about, too, because as a lifelong judoka, you know, I, I can't even imagine what your hands must be like. My hands are like pretty mangled up just from yeah. just from the gi game and whatnot. You know, I got pretty no, knobby looking hands and my knuckles are all uh, misshaped. How, what are your hands like right now at this stage in your career?
0: Uh, you know, I do have a little bit of arthritis in my hands, but nothing serious. I think that's a you know, misconception. Like people think just because I do judo, my hands are really strong. They're not. People think I do a lot of judo because my hand, you know, and my hands would be messed up, but there's a lot of technique behind the gripping and then how you position your hands and you're actually not squeezing the gi the entire time, right? Right. So there's a lot of technique to that, that I think gets overlooked that can help you preserve your hands. And, you know, so we could definitely talk about that. I know you want to talk a little bit about the gripping stuff. So
1: yeah, one of the biggest takeaways that I get from your YouTube channel is the, idea of gripping and considering your stance so whether it's a righty on righty or right versus left yeah and this is something that i've totally overlooked for years and only when i'm you know started watching your channel on youtube which is a great resource for information as well as uh, travis stevens's channel we just had him on the podcast recently those both you guys have really brought to my attention like you know, OK, well, these are sort of the funnels that you can build when you're when you like to stand this way. And, you know, yeah. when you're standing this way. These these throws are more available than these throws. It's it seems super fundamental, but it's something that, you know, as a mainly a jujitsu fighter, I haven't really thought about too much. Yeah. For people in my field, we focus a lot on, OK, how are we going to grip from the guard? Not necessarily in the standing position. So that is uh, definitely something that I wanted to ask you today. I just wanted to mention your, your father. Am I saying this right? Nobuyoshi
0: Higashi? Yeah, that's correct. You nailed it. Yeah, Nobuyoshi.
1: So he also uh, lives in New York with you. And um, if I'm not mistaken, he traveled to the United States with Katsuo Watanabe to teach judo and Aikido.
0: Yeah, there was a lot. There was a whole slew of the Japanese guys uh, during the pioneering of martial arts, and then you know there was a bunch of them that came together, right, right around the same time. So Matsumura, right, Yonetsuka, Ogosawara, There was a bunch of them that are really responsible for teaching. Every one that's in New York now, mm-hmm. really, you know what I mean. So not just Watanabe, but yeah, in like the nineteen sixties.
1: Yeah, very cool, very cool. So so quite the quite the family lineage of judoka is quite impressive. And uh, so you guys are not open right now, eh? You're, but you're on your way to reopening.
0: No, we're open. So there's a New York City guidelines, right? The city has guidelines for gyms, and we had to consider ourselves a gym because indoor fitness is still not allowed, right? Right. So technically, we had to go through the inspection process and the application process as a gym. And now we're allowed to do one-to-one sports instruction, which is we provide, you know, in forms of private lessons. And then we also have a 33% capacity independent workout where our athletes can come in and do their own thing, but we're not supposed to provide instruction because then it'll be considered a class, right? Yeah. So we've been pretty vigilant about following all the guidelines because, you know, I spoke to an inspector who came, you know, virtually and did the inspection and they really kind of put a scare into us, you know, they say, Hey, we're going to come by unannounced. And if you're violating these things, we're going to shut you down and fine you. So, yeah. you know, we've been compliant for this whole time, you know. So we're still trying to be as compliant as possible, but that has its challenges too, right?
1: Yeah. New York was hit pretty hard by the coronavirus. You know, I, I know there's a lot of stuff shut down there. The restrictions are quite a bit more strict than they are up here in Canada, especially in the field I used to be in cooking. A lot of people that I know don't even have jobs anymore. Yeah. Uh, lots of people lost their jobs. And then I know, you know, uh, my my professor's professor Kyle Terra down in San Jose he had his gym open and then he got a public warning from the San Jose health officials saying you know yeah. we've warned you before and if you open your gym again we're going to start fining you like $5,000 a day so some places are definitely more strict than others and uh it's sad you know i know a few people who have lost their gyms because of because yeah. of what's happened or they've had to move to a different location fortunately i've I'm in a a pretty small space, so I didn't, you know, I lost money, but I didn't actually lose my entire school. So uh, best of luck to you on the reopening. Thank you. Thank you. On a side note, wondering what's, what's it like in New York right now? Because I hear horror stories of how it's just like, it's a ghost town down there. The businesses aren't thriving. And aside from judo, like I, I know people aren't really training as much as before, but what's the, what's like the overall vibe in the city like right now?
0: Yeah, there's lots of vacancies in the stores, right? If you walk down Broadway, uh, a lot of stores are still closed up. Even on my Chelsea location on 27th Street, you know, the entire block is is essentially dead. Mm-hmm. You know, Pre and Jay, they have like a nice little deli on the corner and they're a pretty big company and those guys closed down for good, yeah. right? And they boarded up their windows and there's graffiti on it. The pizzeria across the street has closed forever, right? So – it's challenging in that neighborhood because there's a lot of office buildings and people used to go into the office and have lunch but now there's nobody going into the office so Mm -hmm. those businesses have been hit very hard yeah upper west side too you know there was a big homeless problem it's definitely a different city it's kind of like the
1: feels different yeah
0: it feels different yeah there's a lot more tension and the restaurants are closing left and right you can definitely feel sort of oh man something is not right here Mm -hmm. you know and a lot of uh, a lot of the people who could afford to leave left, you know, they have houses in the Hamptons or, you know, other places and they just bounced. So, yeah, you know, it does feel a little bit like a ghost town, but, you know, it's New York City. I think it'll bounce back.
1: That's good. How, how do you how does it feel like your overall safety when you're out in a boat or just walking down the street or with your family?
0: You know, I don't actually physically live in New York City. I live a little bit north, so I don't really feel the effects of it. But after judo, you know, when I leave the building, you know, there is definitely a little bit more sense of danger, right? So there's a little bit more, and, you know, there has been an uptick in crime. So, you know, there's a little bit more, I think, fear yeah, in general. And, you know, uh, judo and jiu-jitsu definitely helps with that, <laughs> yeah. right? That's why we do it. But, you know, sometimes you just can't help, you know, if some there's, you know, eight people with knives and guns and you don't know what they have, right, or you get blindsided, you know, or someone can just throw rocks at you and you can't really grapple them, right? So there's definitely uh, fear in the air
1: yeah well to all our listeners and of course you i hope uh you know you get back to the gym and train and do the things you love yep but um the bulk of the episode i wanted to discuss today was on gripping strategies specifically gripping strategies in standing positions and i mean i'm not i don't really know where to begin asking you i guess maybe stance is something we should discuss like uh right versus right or uh, right versus left so if you were fighting a right versus left situation would you call that a mirrored stance or would that what would you call that i know there's a judo term for that
0: yeah kenka yotsu, which is uh
1: fighting fourth something uh, <laughs> but
0: <laughs> yeah i wouldn't call it a mirrored stance I'd- You know, I know like when I say right versus right, it's mirrored, it's like exactly the same, you know, symmetrical situation.
1: Okay. So you would refer to mirrored as right versus right or left versus left. Yeah.
0: But the reverse on the mirror, it's like sort of inverse. So I don't know if that's the proper terminology for it, but yeah, the right versus right, right versus left stuff is very important. And uh, there's a reason for that, right? Especially in judo. I don't think it matters as much in BJJ.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to get into that too. Yeah it's played a little bit differently the the stand up game in jiu-jitsu because of the leg grabs and the submission attempts and the fact you straight up you can just jump guard. Yeah. It changes the posture of fighters in jiu-jitsu for sure. A little bit. Yeah. I notice in judo fighters are standing more straight up not worried about getting leg grabbed, not worried about someone, you know, necessarily jumping closed guard on them. But in jiu-jitsu, you got to worry about that. You got to, you got to consider shots. You got to consider guard pulling. Yeah. And so I find that your stance tends to be a lot more cautious, I guess, and yeah. bent over. So when you say right versus right, you're referring to the right foot being forward, correct?
0: Yeah. Lead, leg, right. And the important thing about that sort of thing when you're talking about grip fighting is you have two arms, right, to control the opponent's body. Right. And you have a lapel hand and a sleeve hand generally, Mm -hmm. and the lapel hand generally controls the opponent's posture, right? So that's the posture hand and you have the sleeve hand, which is the pulling hand,
1: right? Right. So you could be a right handed fighter be like, uh so you play with your right leg lead. And does it matter how your hands grip? Like, could you use your right or your left hand to grab the collar? Or Or is there kind of a, if you're a right foot forward, you generally grab with your right hand on the collar?
0: It's a very good question. Uh, It depends on what you're trying to do. And so the basics of judo, if you're looking at right side versus right side, and I like the terminology right side as opposed to right-handed, because you can be right-handed taking a left-sided stance, right? It really is all about in which direction you turn. So if you're right versus right and you're turning to your left, right? If you're leading with your right and you turn to your left for your big turn throws, Right, You're naturally closer to that side because you're leading with the right. Yeah. It's much shorter turn to that direction, to your dominant side, than to your weak side. right? Mm-hmm. So that's really the name of the game. And in judo, you develop these turn throws over years and years and years, and it takes a long time to develop, but once you develop it, you throw your entire body in a spiraling motion to one side. Mm-hmm. Right? Think like baseball players, they train to swing the bat in one direction, Or football players learn to throw the ball with their right hand if they're right-handed. Right, so now all of a sudden, you're not gonna switch sides and throw to the side that you're not used to. You you never see a baseball player standing lefty all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So it's the same sort of idea. So when I'm taking that right side versus right side stance and I wanna throw to my dominant side, I have a sleeve hand, and that's the side that I'm gonna turn towards. Right. Now, if you as a right-sided athlete also, we're turning into each other, right? We're opposing turns. So if you could control my right hand, which is the posture hand, and if you could pin it to my body, it prevents that turn to
1: my dominant side. Yeah, I follow you. You're talking about a right versus right situation.
0: Exactly, exactly. So there's two sort of levels of this fighting for position stuff. There's grip fighting, and then once you've been interlocked with each other, there's that adjusting for position fighting, right? So there's grip fighting, positional fighting, and then the advantages get sort of established and then you're sort of doing judo, right? And you're developing your strategy based on that. right? If you think about it in terms of BJJ, because I know most of your followers are BJJ, correct? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's safe to say. Right, so if I'm standing in open guard, right? If I'm standing and you're on the ground and you're open guard, there's a million different things you can do, right? Shin to Shin, try to force Ashigurami, go Dela Hiva, right? You could do lots and lots of different things. I don't know, there's a limitless amount of options that you have, right? But if I could gain advantage by passing your guard, Now you can't do Yalahiva. Now you can't go Shintoshin. Now you can't go Ashigarami. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden your options are limited and now you're in defensive mode. Right. You want to return me back to neutral, which is inside your guard. That's right. And in grip fighting and adjusting for position, it's the same exact way. It's the equivalent of gaining advantage by passing the guard. Right? If I could shut down your lapel hand, cut that hand completely, and have dominant posture hand right by your collar. Now I've shut down all your offenses to your dominant side. Now you don't have an offense, period, right? If I'm completely controlling that sleeve, you can't shoot in on the legs either. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden I'm in offense mode and you're in defense mode, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why the game gets focused on the throwing and the techniques and the combination, but most of the game happens at the guard passing level, right? Which is the grip fighting and the adjusting for position.
1: Yeah, one one thing about jujitsu that I that's come to light recently is actually a a guy maybe you've heard of him. He's he lives in New York. His name's Gordon Ryan. He's like the yeah. he's the Wayne Gretzky right now of no gi grappling. You know, considered yeah. considered to be like the greatest and still super young. It's actually kind of sad seeing someone so young being so good and <laughs> so accomplished already. Mm. But this guy, he you know him and Danaher, they talk about offensive and defensive cycles. And essentially, this translates when we're talking about guard passing in the example that you just used. It's like, well, if they're grabbing you or gripping you from from the bottom position and uh, so let's say you're passing the guard and they're gripping you and off balancing you, they're the one in the offensive cycle you're in the defensive cycle because you're literally you're constantly getting off balanced yeah but if you're able from the top position if you're able to put pressure on your opponent so that they can frame rather than grip yeah uh, in a defensive motion then you're the one in the offensive cycle so this was kind of a it's a great way to for, for guard players and guard passers to sort of realize okay when am i leading the charge and when am i on the defensive yeah and you mentioned you mentioned uh advantages which is I'd actually never heard the term advantage used in a judo context the way you do. And in jujitsu, when we say advantages, we generally refers to like a near score. So maybe yeah. I throw you, never going to happen. I throw you and your butt hits the ground and then you scramble back to your feet, right? Or I grab your pants, I pass your knee line, but then you bring your knees back in and you regard. So I would get an advantage. Or maybe I had a juji. And it's extended and then you escape and you get on top and you get out. So I would get like a a near score. But when you say advantage in judo, I notice in your videos, like you mentioned, there's kind of the grip fighting aspect where, you know, you fight for grips, then you establish your grips and then you mention, okay, now I'm going to get an advantage. And it's basically kind of like a really subtle adjustment on your grip. And I'm not sure how you define that. From what I can see, you mentioned like your collar hand, you want to have it higher than their collar hand.
0: Generally, generally, yeah.
1: So you you do like a shrug almost, yeah. and then you try and get your hand higher into like a power grip, like, a, like a, we yes. call it a horse collar grip or a behind yeah. the back grip.
0: So if you look at it in terms of a sliding scale, like on a spectrum, right? If we're linked up right versus right, we're just standing upright you have your hand on my collar, I have my hand on your collar, and we have sleeve and sleeve, we're completely in the same exact position, that's 50-50, right? If I could slide your hand down slightly, and if I could raise my hand a little bit higher, my lapel hand, now I have a slight advantage, right? Mm -hmm. And then you could keep making it extreme, and extreme, and extreme, and make the net a little bit bigger, and bigger, and bigger, until ultimately I could cut that hand, and now you don't have any hold of my collar whatsoever. Right. So now I'm in completely dominant position. I'm fully 100 percent dominant towards me Mm -hmm. because now I have two hands on. and You have one hand on.
1: Yeah. And you can turn the shoulders, too. Right. Like that's a big part of gaining the advantage as well as sort of like affecting the line of their shoulders and twisting their spine.
0: That's more so right side versus left side. So the strategy for right versus left is completely different.
1: Okay, And
0: this is also based because of the turn throw situation. Now, if you took all like super powerful, massive turn throws out of the equation, and you're only looking at komonage, leg grabs, and things like this, then it's not going to really matter so much, right? But because of the nature of judo, it really does matter. the The context of the techniques really matter. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the same options won't be available if you're if you're fighting if you're righty. And you're fighting a right, uh, right-sided right player, that's totally different from if you're right and you're fighting a left-sided player.
0: Yes, yes, that's right. And also, like for instance, uh, I did another video with uh, BJJ Fanatics, low-risk judo for Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighters. Mm-hmm. And that is entirely about don't even bother learning turn throws if you're doing BJJ. Because
1: mm-hmm, just back exposure and whatnot, neck exposure.
0: Yeah, back exposure. It just takes a very long time to learn right? And then if you don't have the time to focus on your up, you're never going to get good at it. Yeah. Right. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do anything that you're not going to get good at, but if your main game is groundwork, you want to develop your takedown style. That's going to help you maximize your groundwork, right? Yeah. So now all of a sudden you're spending 70% of your time working turn throws to develop this thing three years later, it's going to affect your ground game as well, right? Which is not going to help. If you're a jujitsu guy, you're first and foremost playing guard you're playing groundwork so you want to maximize that Mm -hmm. so if you're trying to learn that system which is mostly like kochi ochi inside trip sumi gaishi and then the combination thereof using some grip fighting strategies now all of a sudden turning the shoulders and stuff it doesn't matter so much because the turn aspect of the techniques are sort of taken out of it Mm -hmm. it still matters gripping and positional advantage and stuff Because when I'm completely dominant, I am restricting your movement. I control your sleeve right side versus right side, which means you can't shoot in on the leg with that, right? You can't connect your hands for a single because I'm controlling that sleeve. Yeah. And because I'm controlling your collar hand, you have no control over my posture. Right. But I have my right hand on your collar. Therefore, I control your posture. I control your hands. Now I could do anything and everything, right? I can go for an easy arm drag. Go for a snap down, a sort of outside trip. I can go for an ankle pick because I have control of your collar and your head, right? But you don't, you can't go for an ankle pick,
1: right? Because you could dominate the posture as well, right? If you have, if you have two hands, I can't really do anything. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's the that's the idea, right? If I can go two on one, and you know, this is a great example the crossover between BJJ and judo. Like, uh, if someone, if you have my back, right? If you have my back and you are in the crab ride position. If you could clip one of my legs, so you could have two hands versus one defending hand going for that rear naked choke, that's a huge advantage, right? When you say, "Oh yeah," if you have a body triangle and you have trapped one of my arms in there,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? I'm not getting out of that. No, you know, same idea with the stand up. If I have two hands on and I'm controlling your posture, and you have one hand on, you know that that's going to be a winning position. So the game really, really begins at the gripping and the, the positional level before it even goes into you know, learn in the throws and people always focus on osotogari or any type of technique that they see online. They drill it over and over and like, what am I doing wrong? I can't hit this in a live roll. That's because there's just so many different checklist items before you even go for the throw, right? That you're not even, yeah. unless you're bigger and stronger than the person, then you can just do anything you want really, right?
1: Right. Yeah. This this was kind of a, something that I ran into is with my my old judo coach, we would do bunch of uchikomi and i'm like hey i'm really feeling this throw now like i can i can hit it when i'm doing uchikomi when okay let's go let's do some randori now and just like nowhere near yeah yeah where i where i need to be to be able to make the throw happen even if i know what the throw is i didn't i I couldn't put it in context i wasn't really thinking about grip battling and how i'm going to dominate the grip battle i didn't know my stance relative to his stance you know what I should be looking for. And that's when uh, watching your channel really helped me sort of put things into context and be able to say, th- yeah. okay, like uh, I should be standing a particular way. Like one thing I I did for a long time is I would, I would just grip in such a way that it wasn't like I wouldn't even consider my stance. So sometimes I would be standing right foot forward. Sometimes I'd be standing left foot forward. Yeah. Not that that's really wrong, but I just wouldn't know what attacks were available to me yeah. And I was just kind of floundering and then at one point he's like, "Hey man, like why don't you just pick a side?" Like, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't recommend trying to be ambidextrous in in this situation, you know, you kind of need to develop your foundation first, figure out which leg you like to lead with and then what you can do from there. So that was like a yeah. <laughs> it's just me just basically not knowing where I need to be. Yeah.
0: But you know, that approach is not wrong, right? So I have this systematic approach to position and grip fighting stuff, but that's not always the right answer. You know, a lot of teachers who have been doing this stuff for a very long time, they have that old school mindset of like you're developing your techniques first and you're building your strategy around it, right? There's people who just go in there and you're leading right sometimes, you're leading left sometimes. And there's people who just go out there and are capable of improv, you know, especially like super high level athletes who are just unbelievably athletic, They can get away with stuff like that right there are people out there from japan who's so unbelievably good and dynamic at the techniques themselves that they don't really care about position because even if they're losing in position they could still force a massive massive throw Mm -hmm. right because they developed their whole lives to turn in that direction right Mm -hmm. so none of these methodologies is really long you know um you really just got to sort of look at the the athlete right and see what resonates with them and, you know, I like my system because it, you could be a smaller person, not as athletic and still implement some of this stuff. And, you know, the good analogy that I always sort of give to my athletes, like, you know, if you take a nine-year-old child who, you know, you outweigh by a hundred pounds, technique doesn't matter. You could just knock them over. Right. Mm-hmm. And same thing with me or you who've been training most of our lives, go against a, you know, like a gorilla or a bear or something. It doesn't really matter because we're going to get mauled
2: right? No matter
0: how much technique that we have, you know, so there are limitations, physical limitations. Um, I think it really does matter. You know, if the person outweighs you by 20, 30 pounds, you never want to be linked up 50, 50, but it's sort of always, I like to say, it's like on a spectrum, you know, and it's better to know it than not know it. I think.
1: Yeah. If you're a righty versus righty, what is kind of your go-to strategy and combination like let's say let's say the match just started we have not yeah. made grips yet yeah uh, because i know some people they will take the especially in jiu i find a lot of the time the collar is kind of the first thing people grab but then i saw a video from uh i think travis posted it and it said you know if you go for the collar the collar doesn't move really yeah but the sleeve The sleeve is what can be difficult to track down. If your partner doesn't want you to grab their sleeve, their hands can move. So what he was saying is he sometimes will implement a game where he tries to grab the sleeve first, because then if he can track down the sleeve, then the collar grip is much easier to grab. And then you already have your throwing grips. I don't know. I just wanted to get your perspective on that.
0: That's a great, great, great question. And that's the right question. If I'm standing right side versus right side, if I'm like facing you directly, right? Yeah. Option number one, always, if I could take my left hand and control your right sleeve, yeah, that's the best, right? Yeah. And that's always option number one. That's the first thing I always go for now because I have short turn turn throws to my left. So I have short dominant side throws with that sleeve. And then I could also go for the arm drag. And if I want to, I could take my right hand and shoot in on that lead leg, right? Because now I control that lead arm, yeah. right? So that's always option number one. Option number two is I can't get that sleeve and I pulse on your lapel, the wrong side lapel, right? So I take my left hand, I went for that sleeve, I can't get it, I don't retreat my hand, I go immediately to that collar, right? right? I punch that left hand in. Now, I still could turn to my right side, I could still shoot in on that lead leg, but you cannot because I've stopped that shoulder.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: And so you have the same options too because you're right side versus right, we're both in the same position, right? So my right hand, my lead leg is in defense mode. So I'm trying not to let you get my right sleeve, and I'm also protecting that lapel because sleeve lapel, sleeve lapel with your left hand, right? Mm -hmm. So my right hand's on defense, my left hand's on offense. Right. So stab, 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 defend, defend, defend. And if you're capable of doing these two things independently and being aware of both things simultaneously, now you're getting to uh, real high-level stuff.
1: Yeah, and something I've watched from your videos is, so if you're standing right right foot forward, you yeah. you lead with your left hand. You grip with your left hand, not your right one, right?
0: That's correct. That's correct. And even if you're doing BJJ, if you stick your right hand out straight, you're going to shoot it on that leg.
1: Yeah, it, you leave your leg sort of open, right? Yeah. In wrestling, people call that the gatekeeper, right? Like the hand that sort of guards the knee.
0: Yes, lead leg guards the, the leg, and then the, the backhand goes and posts on the shoulder or goes forces that collar
1: tie okay do you follow the same um, methodology when you're a right right right-sided fighter fighting a lefty or would you lead would you start grabbing with your right hand in that case
0: right versus left I do the complete opposite where I start with my right hand and try to get the collar hand on first
1: so if it's right versus left you will have your right foot forward and you're gripping with your right hand
0: yes yes and then. Because the person who puts their hand on first determines inside or outside position, right? Right. Because my right collar hand and your left hand are going to be linked in a configuration where one person has inside and one person has outside position, right? Mm-hmm. And then people always say inside is better, but that's not necessarily true, right? It depends on what your strategies are from the outside position. You could still gain advantage from the outside position, right? If I only like the outside and if I got the inside, uh, I'm not going to know what to do. Right, so it's not one is better than the other, really. Generally, if someone's taller than me, taller person might say, "I like going on the outside. I go on the inside." Now we don't have to fight for inside position. Yeah. Right. It's really a matter of preference and a matter of game. So now, once you've established that lapel, lapel hand in the right side versus left side position, now you're looking to create a strong post, fight for that sleeve, and then turn the shoulders. Right. That's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that shoulder turn doesn't really matter if you don't do a lot of turn throws.
1: Right. In jujitsu, like you mentioned, uh, I guess, with your instructional, you know, doing big turn throws in jujitsu is not necessarily the I don't want to say it's not a good idea, but it is more it's more prone to risk this is one thing. I don't know if you saw Danaher released an interview that he did with Bernardo Faria, and there's a short clip about, you know, the main problems of takedowns in jujitsu. And there he had a lot of great examples, like one of them was considering how you expose your back. When you throw, so for like an epon sayanagi, how you could expose your belt when you go for a takedown. So if I go for a single on you, sometimes I give you belt exposure. Yeah. And another example, like if I did a drop sayanagi, I give you neck exposure. So these are all things, these are all things that we have to consider when we're when there's submissions and all you know leg grabs and things like that involved. That was I found a really helpful video. So maybe I'll have to check out your instructional because that sounds like it would be pretty valid for a jiu-jitsu fighter. I find when I'm going in jiu-jitsu that I really like to mix up like it's, it's something I'm not very good at, but I've been playing with it more as mixing in my ashiwaza because it's relatively low risk and it can create, you know, off balance and, and force your opponent to stumble. And it's almost like you can use it almost like a jab, you know, just to get them moving. For sure. Hey, have you, you said you wrestled, right? I mean, (laughs) I do wrestle in training. I I don't have a wrestling background. I wrestled in middle school a little bit. Nice. um, And then I stopped and played and played hockey. I wish I'd stayed with it, but uh, I'm not like, (laughs) like I can wrestle, but I'm not like a wrestler by trade. I, I usually pull. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: So when you're in dominant position, right side versus right side, or something like that, a lot of the times when it comes to jujitsu stuff, I think the snap down is one of the most underutilized skill when it comes to right in the gi. Mm-hmm. You know, snap downs are great because then you're breaking their posture, you're breaking the posture, you create that upward reaction, and then you
1: could shoot in, right? And you would do that with the left hand if you're a right sided player. You're snapping down with the left hand.
0: Well, it depends if they're right or if the opponent's standing left.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. No, and and I guess if it was right versus right, my left hand would be grabbing for the sleeve, right?
0: Yeah, but then if I have a higher position where I have my hand right behind your neck, like in the C5 grip, you know, where the the vertebrae is, right? And if I have that hand completely cut off, I control your posture, but you don't control mine because you don't have a hand on my collar, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then forcing a turn from there probably is not the right move. I could physically just start snapping your head down to the floor, down to the floor, down to the floor, right? Yeah. There's really not much you can do about it, you know? So I think that's one of the most underutilized things. If you could just fight for a hand position, get really good at gripping and just learn how to snap the person down really hard, you know, you're already, you know, have a huge advantage there, right? You're already ahead of the game. So, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah, adjusting for jiu-jitsu rules, it, it's a huge thing. and you know, learning how to do a Tomoe or something like that is great because if you have me beat in standing grip fighting position, I could just go for Tomoe You know, I this is what I tell all my Jiu-Jitsu people that come to my Judo school. Obviously not many guys are coming now because of the COVID, but before we used to have a slew of BJJ guys coming to train Judo at my school. Like Bernardo Fari was there for like a year, you know? Yeah. And uh, what I would tell every single one of those guys is if you're in training, you're going to pull guard. Just go for a Sumi or a anyway. Just go for it. Yeah. Try to throw them with Tomunage. That way you at least get the reps in to learn.
1: You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you get if you it, you hit it. If not, you end up in your guard.
0: Exactly. You're going to pull guard anyway. You know? So why just pull guard as opposed to getting your repetitions in for Tomunage? You know, Tomunage over Sumi. Tomunage you can do a little bit more safer, I think. Yeah. And it's good for your opponent too. A
1: little bit less sacrifice throw.
0: Yeah. If I have a lot of exposure, like if me and you rolled for the next three months, and if every time you wanted to pull guard, you went for Tomoenage, you get to increase your Tomoenage skill set, obviously, by learning the timing and all this stuff. And I get to work on my Tomoenage defense every single time. Mm-hmm. So I could exponentially get better. And then I, we could fight for position. And you know, if I beat you right side versus right side, and I get in dominant position, I'm going to start snapping you down. So in order to escape the downs and escape the throws, you're going to go Tomoenage as a bailout technique therefore transitioning the match to the ground. And I've worked on my Tomoenage defense. It really is a win-win for you all around, as opposed to we bow, you touch my gi, and you sit down, which there's zero value to that, Mm -hmm. right? And of course, you spend 15 seconds, 10 seconds of every match now fighting for position and then working on that Tomoenage. But 15 seconds, if we're doing a five-minute roll, it's a very short amount of time. We're going to still spend our time training on the ground, which is what we're ultimately there for if we're doing BJJ, correct? Yeah. So it's a very high yielding uh, thing that you can do if you're already a jiu-jitsu player, as opposed to trying to come in and learn a turn throw, which you're going to be spending the next 30, 40 minutes on. That's not really going to give you the best yields.
1: Yeah. That's one thing that Danaher talks about in that video is it's like certain throws are of course, they're more risky, but also certain turn throws tend to be more dynamic. You know, there's a lot more room for uh, like following through and actually possibly ending up on the bottom. So it's good to select throws where you're not. Yeah. Even if you get any pawn like in judo, um, you know, if you end up on the bottom, you still win in a lot of cases. But in jujitsu, if you end up on the bottom, it's like yeah. now the match has only begun and you're you're in a, a horrible position. Right And at best, you get an advantage. Yeah. So that, that, was, that was a good point as well, kind of be selective. And- but the follow
0: through, I think, is it's, that's the one thing that I sort of disagreed with on the, because I've listened to that too. And, you know, I'm in martial arts, and so people talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could train yourself to go for massive turn throws and not get f- rolled through. Right. You know, uh, in my early days of wrestling, I had that problem. Every time I threw someone, I overthrew them, and then I got rolled through, and I actually ended up losing points.
1: So what do you do? Just kill your own momentum?
0: Yeah, so as the person's going over, you drop your hips to the floor, right? Okay. Um, and think if you can, the person goes, this is the hard part about it though, training it as you're dropping your hips or as you're dropping your weight on top of them to sort of crush them, uh, you have a very high risk of injuring the person's ribs.
1: Yeah, right? it's happened to me.
0: <laughs> Coming down on top of the person as their back hits the floor. So it's kind of a tricky thing to train, but you could definitely train yourself to not get overturned. Right, because you see these massive turn throws in international wrestling, which is huge. It's a very, very big sport. People have been doing it for a very long time. People throw each other to the back without getting over rotated all the time. So you could definitely—it's a skill set that you can train. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You drop the hips. You go cross body control. You land on the ribs, and then you could sort of, you know, adjust from there. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I. Yeah, just my two cents. I'm a shorter guy, so I I like. Uh, you know, I, I gravitate naturally more towards Sayanagi. I feel like I can get low and get into that space. And it's just kind of the throw that I've naturally gone for. But big turn throws like Uchimada and, and things like that. I have I have issues finishing uchimata, especially on someone who's like taller than me. Yeah. But I use it for to set up the the mule kick into the ankle pick, you know, like really basic wrestling sequences. So I definitely see like I, I use it more to make my opponents stumble and then from there I sort of chain things together. But I very rarely go for like big dynamic throws. Yeah. And another reason, you know, something Danaher mentioned, it's like, well, if you if you invest tons of time into big these big turn throws and I mean even just like throws in general, and then ninety ninety-five percent of the guys you fight in competition just pull guard. You know, you're kind of yeah, the rules don't require that you become proficient in these skills so a lot of people neglect them and therefore it, you're you're kind of wasting time if you're investing all this time in it you know it, it's more yeah, more so at the right. uh yeah. the higher the higher weight classes and and honestly more in the master's divisions where you'll see two guys actually agree to yeah to stand and try and take each other down
0: it's true it's true uh, i would love to see that rule change in bjj And if you made the rule change in judo to keep the match going for longer on the ground, and you get penalized for giving up your back by going for a shitty throw, I think the sports would look a lot, lot more similar to each other. Than you know, (laughs) yeah. I I think that they should do that both, right? And I'm not saying to merge sports, but you know, that I would like to see that. You know, because judo is missing a little bit in terms of the groundwork. You know, even though some diehard judo people are like, "No, our groundwork is fine. Uh, It's not as refined." Mm -hmm. You know, and same with BJJ with the stand up.
1: Mm -hmm. Totally agree.
0: Their stand up is not as refined too because you get two points. That's it. And the thing is, if you sit guard, you don't have to risk losing those points or even going for those points because you sit guard and things continue as normal, right? Points are still zero zero. You know, so why take that risk? And the person on the bottom has an advantage because if they sweep and they get points, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're on top, and then you could pass, and now all of a sudden you racked up, you know, two scoring opportunities as opposed to the person on top can really only score one way by passing the
1: guard yeah and right? passing the guard at a in a high level jiu-jitsu competition is so difficult it's like one of the most difficult things you can do right yeah I bet. Uh, especially when like yeah like like we mentioned not a lot of people are well, I don't want to say not a lot, but you know, many people in the jujitsu community don't really practice takedowns because there's no requirement for them to. So what does that mean? They focus their effort on their guard, which makes it even harder to pass their guards. Right. So yeah,
0: it makes sense, man. It makes sense. You know, if I was competing full-time in BJJ, I probably wouldn't learn to, you know, work on my takedowns either.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the win conditions, right? Yeah, it is. You know,
0: and I think it's a very important skill to learn. You know, I think. uh the beauty of the stand-up throwing too in a self-defense application standpoint is like if you could take a single leg and you're on the subway and you take someone down and now all of a sudden you're trying to pass their guard and you have upper body control with a cross face, they could have a friend that's going to come in and stop you in the exactly. face, right? That's always a thing. If you have the ability to be upright and then just slam someone, right, and then end it then and there, then you could take on the next person the next person. So I think there really is merit to learning it not just in the sports setting, but uh, from a self-defense standpoint. But that's why I'm such a big fan of the crossover training, right? Because there's things you could gain from each martial art,
1: Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, things that will work in wrestling don't necessarily work against someone who, when when you have a jacket on just because a simple grip could shut down, you know, double leg takedowns or single leg takedowns. So yeah. That is also an important thing as an instructor to to consider when you're teaching a no-gi class or a gi class is like, hey, is this technique applicable for the style that I'm teaching? This is also something that uh, Danaher mentions in that that episode there.
0: Then you just got to carry around an extra jacket. You know, every time you get into altercations, like, hey, man, can you put this on real quick? <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you just like physically, you know, we've talked about right versus right, right versus left and sort of you know which hand to grip with first. I just wanted to maybe briefly talk about like physically when you're gripping the the jacket like any details or or special things like I know a lot of judo fighters when they grab the collar, they grab the collar with the bottom 3 fingers and the thumb and the index finger aren't really used to grab as much but more just yeah. you know it's it's the bottom 3 fingers that grab stuff like that. Uh is that a, is that something that you use a lot?
0: yeah I do. I use the forefinger a lot too to pick the lapel open so I could get a, a nice bite on that thumb. You know that's something that I do. It's very nuanced. No one really teaches it, especially in a right first left setting, yeah right when you're reaching for that lapel and the lapel is flushed to the chest because it's flat. yeah you see a lot of people reaching over, especially if we've already established right like I like inside and you like the outside position, and then we both aren't fighting for that same inside position. We're going to want to just put our hands on the key right away right? Because we both know what we want. It's already been established. And in that case, right, turning that hand just so you fish that thumb into that lapel is very tricky. So you just literally, you know, pick at it with the front finger and then you pull that lapel vertically towards you. And it sounds crazy, but you see it all the time. No one really talks about
1: it. You know what I mean? When would you differentiate using the bottom three fingers to grip as opposed to the whole fist? Like if you're, if the lapel isn't, if it's not pulled out, it's not applicable. You use the full fist. Is that what you're saying?
0: No, I'm saying uh, if the lapel is flat on your chest, in order to get a good grip, to activate my bottom three, I'll use that forefinger to pull that lapel open and then I'll hook the three fingers underneath that lapel that I just pulled open towards me. And then once I establish that grip, then I it's mostly the bottom three and the thumb. Mm-hmm. But now you're not really squeezing the gi. That's what the beginners do a lot. If you think about like if me and you were you know, hanging out at a lake and it's like, yo, let's throw, let's see who could throw this rock for farthest, right? And we're playing that game. You're not squeezing that rock really hard. You probably have a very, very loose grip on that rock, correct? Yeah. In order to maximize your throwing potential. And judo, it's the same way. A lot of people think you're squeezing the gi, uh, it makes it very difficult to go in and be very athletic and be very loose with your movements if you're squeezing that lapel or even holding onto that sleeve.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Another example, if I'm holding onto that sleeve hand, and if I'm squeezing real tight and pulling real tight, now all of a sudden, any movement that you yank that hand away from me, that's gonna put tremendous amount of tension on my fingers, Yeah. right? Puts tension on my elbow, my shoulder. I feel it entire, throughout the entire body, right? Because it's like a kinetic chain from my hand, grabbing that gi all the way up to my core and my legs, right? So now all of a sudden, if you yank that hand away from me, but I have a very loose hook finger grip, and if I just limp that arm forward, you're just going to be essentially pulling into thin air. There's no resistance to create tension on the fingers, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, I have to sort of use that without also understanding that you may go for a, a turn throw. and You may try to set me up or something like this. But that kind of stuff where you stuck your fingers onto that key, but you're moving with the opponent, uh, not constantly resisting or squeezing, that really helps you preserve the hands, right? and it helps you sort of maximize your judo.
1: Yeah. I think it's the same thing in jujitsu too, is we try and, we try and not get married to grips where, you know, if you have their collar and they have a two-on-one on on your hand, they're about to break that grip rather than just squeezing as hard as you can and then taking damage to your fingers. It's, it's almost better if you can re-grip and know where you're going to put your hand next, you know, rather than I'm just going to take this grip and hold on to it as hard as I can yeah so we use that same sort of uh thinking uh in jiu-jitsu what about the way when you're grabbing the sleeve because I've I've seen people take grips on the bottom where the seam is you know and and sort of flare the palm down yeah I've seen grips uh as I've seen in videos where you grip like kind of on top of the forearm like halfway up by the elbow like almost on an on top grip I've seen grips where guys take that grip and then they fold the thumb to the inside so that they, they use the thumb as a frame on top. Sort of. Can you sort of explain to me your ideas, uh, how you would grip the the sleeve?
0: Yeah. So again, this always goes back to, you have to ask the question, am I fighting right side or left side, right? Because the goal of uh, the sleeve hand is different. Okay. If I'm fighting right side versus right side, if I could cut that hand and be in completely dominant position, it's in my best interest for you not to re-grab that lapel. So I'm gonna essentially take your hand and try to put it in your own pocket, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to maximize my hand position to be able to apply that sort of pressure. And if I'm pushing downward at an angle as if I was doing like a decline bench press, I'm probably the strongest, right? In order to do a proper decline bench press, I need to sort of create a handle that's gonna sort of reinforce that pushing motion. So that's gonna be the way I grip that sleeve. On top. On top, yeah, where I pull the gi to the side to collect more material with my hands. That way, there's a much tighter band across the top of the wrist.
1: Mm-hmm. And I imagine if you grip kind of halfway up the arm as opposed to at the end of the sleeve, then your pull has a bit more, you, you can you can create a better a, a bigger pull because it's not as wide. Am I correct in saying that?
0: That's, yeah, that's, you're definitely on the right track, right? So depending on if I'm fighting right side versus right side, me and you, Where I grab on the sleeve, whether it's low sleeve or mid sleeve, really depends on what my advantages are, what the sort of the positions that I want to force. I'm a little bit heavier than you. Actually, I'm very heavier than you. (laughs) So being close to 50-50 doesn't really scare me because I'm heavier than you, right? Mm -hmm. So for me to fight you in this judo setting where I outweigh you, I don't need to completely cut that hand and be fully dominant, which means that I could go a little bit higher on the elbow and I could just try to pin that sleeve to your, to your lat, yeah. right? But if uh, in your case, you're gonna want to cut that sleeve completely off because you don't want me controlling your lapel and I weigh, you by, I weigh you by a lot. Therefore, you're gonna probably try to grab lower on the sleeve to be able to cut the sleeve off completely, right? Mm-hmm. So that really matters. And you're right, if you're grabbing lower on the sleeve, there's a lot more slack. You have to pull much longer of a ways in order to off balance me forward. Right, but if you're a Sanagi player like what you said you are, the best thing you could do is go low on the sleeve, cut that hand, and then now all of a sudden when you pull this arm forward, there's this huge space underneath, and then you could fit your entire body underneath me, and that should sort of be your strategy, right? So you never really want to go high elbow if you, you know, if you're a lighter person who has a Sanagi game.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you prefer Sayanagi grabbing the – with the pulling hand being on the sleeve or the lapel? Because a lot of the time, I prefer in Ipon Sayanagi with my uh, hand actually on the outside position with the lapel being my pulling hand.
0: Yeah. So with the Ipon Sayanagi, you have to know when to go for it, right? And I think there's two general times to go for it. It always has to be in conjunction with your grip fighting strategy. So if you're fighting right side versus right side, you're going for the sleeve, you can't get it. Option two is getting that lapel, Right. right? Getting that lapel, not the control posture lapel, but the opposite side lapel, right? So now we're talking about your left hand on my right lapel. In that situation, my fear is that you throw your right hand over, control my posture, and then switch down to the sleeve, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're fully dominant in the right side versus right side setting. That's my fear. So it's in my best interest to prevent that right hand from coming over the back. Right? Yeah. So now all of a sudden, I need to defend that by posting hand to bicep or bringing my left hand up. And then you misdirect coming over the back, and then you go Sanagi.
1: Right. Yeah. That's when I saw that. I saw Travis show that setup where you kind of, it's almost like you're ta- What do you call that? I refer to that as a power grip or a horse collar grip. What do you guys call that in judo? The grip where it comes over the back.
0: Yeah. Power grip. Right. And then there's degrees to it. If you go really, really far down, you know then you sort of go in like uh over under position almost and then if you go towards the opposite shoulder we call that the Georgian grip
1: Georgian yeah
0: yeah but that stuff is a whole different strategy when it comes to that
1: yeah you're it's it's kind of a whole different position on its own i don't i don't play with it too much and and i think it's because so many of those throws are really dynamic from there and i just i think more low low risk
0: it always benefits the bigger person too if you go georgian grip or hip to hip because
1: and I'm not big (laughs) uh, let's face it
0: yeah so I mean the closer we are in proximity the more I have an advantage using my weight all I got to do is stick my leg out and throw my body to the floor I have a lot more mass going in that one direction than you have mass going in any other direction so that's the danger of the George I would stay away from that
1: yeah so you so you say let's say we're we're right on right I go for your sleeve with my left hand and you pull it away so now I'm transitioning off to the collar that setup you mentioned where the right hand goes to the power grip, you sort of show it, but then you swim underneath and go Ipon Sayanagi. That's one of my favorite setups there. And just that detail of like showing the power grip to create a reaction and then coming underneath, that one's been really successful for me.
0: Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make one even better for you. Now your gaming with be forever changed. So if you could picture that same exact position, you have that hand posted on that lapel from the backside, right? Your left hand posted. Yeah. You're making it look like you're going to go over the back. You have Ipon Senagi. And then every now and then you're showing it, right? Over the back, Ipon Senagi, Over the back, Ipon Senagi. You fake it with your hand. And now all of a sudden you open that lapel and you feed that lapel to your right hand. So you have two hands on that one collar. Yeah. And then you could snap the person down real hard because now you have two hands controlling that one collar. Yeah. And the opponent's thinking, Either Ipon sanagi is coming, which means he's gonna drop his hips, or the hand over the back is coming, which means he has his hand wide open. He's not really thinking about his posture so much. Great opportunity to snap the person down, yeah. right? And then once the person's recovering from that, you could go obviously collar drag, uh, arm drag, Ipon sanagi, or the back thing. So now you've also already, already have added like another two dimensions to this to this game of yours
1: right it sounds like you're setting up a dilemma where it's like there's multiple options and your opponent's constantly off balanced yes so if you if you do that and you have that two-on-one on the the far collar there would and you go to snap down would you simply just move away and snap down or would you circle to a particular direction and snap down you, are all options viable
0: so if, uh, if you're leading with your right leg right and then i have that Close the collar that's closest to me with two hands on. If I go straight down, I'm sort of pulling you into that leg. Yeah. So it really really depends, you know. Uh, and there's no guarantee that that leg is going to be there or not be there, especially if you're reacting to my eponaagi, right? You might pull that leg back, or you might do something else. Uh, but generally, if you want to snap the person down, you want to snap them down at a tangent, like a ninety degree angle away from their base.
1: Right. So if if I'm right-handed and I have a two on one on your it's my left, your right lapel, I would Would you say you'd circle to the right then?
0: You could circle to the left to pull me towards my natural weak side, or you could circle around to create an angle going towards my back because back exposure is huge in jiu-jitsu, right? And then if you have that angle, you're much more closer to a collar drag to go for the takedown. So just snapping me down straight front and onward, it might be difficult. But if you're faking an Ipon Seinagi, and then I, I brace my legs in a way where I'm sort of In this even parallel stance now, going straight down towards your legs, it's gonna be a good one too. Mm -hmm. So it takes a little bit of experimenting, but I will go, you know, right side, left side, I would circle, snap the person down, snap the person down, and then I might dive in for a nippon senagi. Or the beauty of this is you could just shoot in on a leg. Yeah. Sat down, shooting on a leg. You know, and that'll probably yeah, yeah, it's just such a great and it all starts with you taking that initiative and having that one hand on first
1: hmm So you're saying, yeah, if you, if you try and grab the sleeve and you, whatever you have it, you move away, you just immediately take a grip on the lapel, right?
0: Yeah. And then the whole time, the most important factor of all this is that your right hand has to be defending that backside. Cause if I reach out and grab that sleeve, now everything we talked about is gone. If I reach out and grab that lapel, now everything we just talked about it is gone.
1: Yeah. Right. So I, what am I doing with my right hand parrying? Exactly. So you're, you have your
0: thumb on the outside of the collar right you just that's where you're camping out ready to parry yeah and every time the person goes to that sleeve you pull the entire body away you turn that body yeah right you're not moving your arm completely away because if you move your arm away that lapel gets exposed so you're turning your body to put to take the sleeve away from the person and then when they go to that lapel you parry that hand right right so it's a very nuanced motion of moving away parrying, moving away parrying, right? While the thumb is still attached to the outside of your lapel. And it's very easy to coordinate because you know where that opponent's hand is coming. And the entire time you're shooting for that sleeve, stabbing that hand in, shooting for that sleeve, looking for your hand on the lapel, right? And once you get it, you go into the series of over the back, Ipon Sanagi snap down, over the back, Ipon Sanagi snap down, all while still cognizant that the person might try to grab that lapel and you're still parrying this hand. So there's a lot going on there, mm-hmm. right? But once you get good at this, you could automate all of it, mm-hmm. right? So like I know guys who do this in their sleep.
1: Yeah, for sure. If 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 I have that far lapel with my left hand, and then I get my power grip with my right hand, so now I've got like yeah, you know I've got your lapel and I've got my hand over your back. Did you say that sometimes you transition from the collar down to the sleeve now?
0: Yes. So my left hand gonna go over the shoulder, right? If you could imagine my Four finger on the lapel, I rotate my fingers upward. Right. Right. And then I slide the hand over the shoulder because I don't want to let go and go underneath because then that right hand might go over my back and now we're in the same exact position. Yeah. So I want to be going over the shoulder to prevent that hand from coming over my body and then control that sleeve.
1: Yeah. And then and then the left hand will slide down from the the first grip we made right on the collar that slides down to the to the sleeve
0: so that's the hand that slides down if i have my right hand on the collar behind i'm going to keep it there because that's already my goal
1: yes the other one slides to the sleeve yes yes do you find that difficult to make that sleeve grip because you are you know you have a grip on the collar and tracking down the sleeve from the collar, is there any like things to think about when you're making that grip? Or is it usually pretty easy because you've already secured your right hand behind their head?
0: So this is the thing. If, I, if you're moving your arm like crazy, right? For me to let go of that left lapel and try to grab your sleeve uh, while your hand is moving, it's freaking impossible, you know? Yeah. But if I could take that hand on the lapel and if I could put my three fingers on the top of your shoulder, and then if I slide it down that arm, it's not going anywhere
1: yeah are you looking to make that top grip on the on top of the elbow is that sort of the grip you would transition to most likely or is it kind of whatever you can get
0: mostly to the, down to the elbow because right now you know if i have it already there you know i already control your posture and then i'm probably going to go into throwing position transitioning all the way down to the low sleeve might be a little bit more difficult Mm-hmm. So that's that's the thing.
1: Yeah. Do you use a lot of armpit grips? I know some judokas use that, but it's not a grip that I see talked about too often.
0: Armpit grip, you know, so if you're like uh, fighting someone your body weight and you feel more comfortable being sort of locked in 50-50 and then, you know, you, you want to use your maximize your turn throws, yes, you know, that's good. It's also good for defense because you post it on that lapel, on the armpit, it's hard to get rid of. And then you have a nice strong frame, right, against their upper body. Closing the distance. I don't like to use it so much, and I kind of developed my judo system over the years. In the last few years, especially to fight in a very safe way, because I am getting a little bit older, racking up injuries, and you know I'm thinking about the longevity of my, you know, being able to do judo with my athletes. Right.
2: Yeah. No, I hear you.
0: So I take a little bit more of a, a hand fighting, positional advantage, sort of a style. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was younger, it was a little bit different. I I would lock up 50-50 and just rip and roar and then try to develop my judo in that way. Just throwing power, throwing power, right? Put two hands on, you know, 50-50, locked in there, go, go, go. And that's good, you know, but there's a lot of risks that come with that and you can't really do that forever because then all of a sudden when your athletic abilities decline, you're not as strong, you're not as fast, all of a sudden you've developed your entire system around this ability, right? That relies on your athleticism, and now all of a sudden it's gone, right so little by little, I'm kind of getting away from that, and that's sort of the reason why I don't do the armpit grip as much, but if I do get out gripped or something and you have good control over my posture, then I think the next best thing that I can do is create that post in the armpit grip, but it's not my go to nor is it my preference to do that
1: cool I mean that was a very comprehensive, detailed gripping conversation i'm sure some people are going to be a little bit lost in some of it uh that's why i recommend you guys check out shintaro's youtube channel uh and some of his instructionals because uh yeah it's really helped me is there anything else you wanted to to discuss on grips shintaro anything you think that jujitsu practitioners should know that we didn't really talk about i know there's tons of information we didn't go over but like uh glaring obvious knowledge or points that shouldn't be overlooked for the common jiu-jitsu fighter.
0: Yeah, I think the shifting a little bit away from the turn throws for jiu-jitsu athletes is important. Working arm drags and leg grabs and sumi and tomonage, I think those are like some of the major major techniques that you know, people should learn. And I think more people should have crossover knowledge, right? Like if a jiu-jitsu guy walked into a judo school like I want to learn judo because I do BJJ, The judo guys will be like, all right, I'm going to show you this osotogari, or, oh, let me show you this Ipon Senagi, it's amazing, you know, and that's really not going to help you if you can't integrate it into your system, Mm -hmm. right? And then the grip fighting strategies that you may have in judo, period, might not cross over for BJJ as well. So it really takes a a good instructor with sort of crossover knowledge to be able to sort of cross that bridge or bridge that gap, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important. Uh, I know you're talking about grips. Um, here's something for you too, I think is good advice across the board that I like to give to people. And this is very applicable to you because it's mental models, right? That's the name of your podcast and it's audio only. Mm-hmm. So being able to visualize this stuff is really, really important, you know? And when people think about visualizing technique or applying a technique, they generally do it from a third person standpoint, like trying to see two figures throwing, right? Am I right? Mm-hmm. From a third person standpoint. But it's very important when you're doing this grip fighting stuff to be able to visualize yourself from a third person standpoint and a first person standpoint as if you were playing a first person shooter game
2: mm-hmm.
0: right so seeing the person in the stance in front of you and then my right hand cant back at the lapel and seeing the opponent's body what their body is going to be doing what their potential reactions are and visualizing that can really really help you improve your game so if you could do third person and first person visualization of all this stuff alongside Having the terminology, because without the terminology, you can't really explain the concepts, right? You don't really have a full grasp of the concepts, right? It's like, oh, I can kinda, right? So learning that terminology first, right? First, right, sleeve hand, right? Option one, option B, right? Something of this nature, and being able to see it third person, see it one person, first person, and then take it through all the different potential lines can extremely, extremely be beneficial. Especially if you're sitting at home and trying to do martial arts study, because then when you get into the gym, you could recognize it when you're watching two people do jujitsu or judo, whatever, right? And now all of a sudden you're doing it and trying to implement it. And then you're facing the person and it's very familiar because you've already done this in your head.
1: Yeah. Makes total sense.
0: So I think that's a very, very beneficial thing that you could definitely, yeah, for me to, to your listeners. Yeah. I hope that was helpful.
1: Nice. Great, great advice. Um, before we wrap it up, I sometimes do like a quick fire question thing for the guests. I have a few questions, uh, if you don't mind. And basically they're just intended to be shorter answers if you're cool with that. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. When did you stop competing?
0: Probably around 2016 ish. That was my last tournament. Yeah.
1: Would you ever compete again?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think they're right up. Actually just got a call from the U S Sambo Federation. They said, Hey, you want to compete in the world's in Sambo? If you wanted, it's yours. Cause I know the guy who, who runs U S Sambo. but I haven't been training for eight months. So it would be a shame for me to take someone else's spot. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you get one person per slot, but I'll definitely compete again, but it has to be right. You know, I don't want to take the unnecessary risk of going out there and getting injured, you know, and I want to be able to play with my kid and my lifestyle is teaching judo. Right. So if I, you know, get heel hooked to jiu-jitsu or something, and blow my knee out, then I'm not going to be able to teach judo or jiu-jitsu, which is sort of my livelihood. And so if something comes up that's very compelling, like for instance, I don't know, US judo is doing this thing and, uh, you know, maybe there's a potential for, you know, making a team or something, then maybe, you know, maybe.
1: Is there a, is there a grappling art that you wouldn't compete in? Like, would you ever compete in BJJ? Yeah, I've competed in BJJ
0: before. I think I did two tournaments. I want them.
1: Would you do it again?
0: Potentially. Yeah, maybe, you know, but if I do it, I, I want to be training BJJ too, right? Cause my jujitsu belt is kind of honorary almost, mm-hmm. right? So I walked into a jujitsu school when I, you know, when I was younger and they gave me a blue belt on the second day, cause I did a lot of groundwork, mm-hmm. right? And then I did, I trained for a summer at Henzo's in Donahue's class and he gave me a purple belt at the end of the summer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of like that. So I've never really had extensive Jiu-Jitsu b j j training. One of my training partners, that I this guy Brian Glick.
1: Yeah. You know him? I don't know him, but I've definitely heard about him a lot. He's unbelievable, man. He's actually one of the
0: best kept secrets of BJJ. That's what I've heard. <laughs> he was one of Donnahurst students. He rolls with Gordon and Gary, and he's in the blue basement. Uh, and he's one of the most knowledgeable people in the game. And I'm telling you, like, he's, you know, I don't want to say the next or her or anything like this, but to me, man, Glick is the best, you know, and he has a very strong affinity to Judo and standing art. So, you know, we get together every now and then and I'll teach him Judo and he'll teach me jujitsu. and then we'll do like 30 minutes on our feet and then 30 minutes on the ground. And it's really one of the most beneficial learning experience for me and him both, right? And we have a good friendly relationship as well. Cool. Uh, I would have to really pick up my training and, you know, get on the level of, you know, some of these guys before I could really put myself out there, put my name out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also disrespectful and arrogant for me to say like, oh, I could do this, you know, and I don't even train in this stuff, you know? So it's very mental for me. I've always had that. Uh, if I went into a tournament and I was ill prepared, it would be a nagging thing even while I was competing, right? Ah, oh, man, I didn't really fully prepare for this thing. Yeah, I don't really belong here and deserve to be here. You know, so if I competed in it, I'd want to be super prepared and I don't think I have the time to do that right now. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, one day, yeah, maybe.
1: Cool. What is your favorite grappling style to watch?
0: You know, I have to, this is going to sound really bad, but I don't really watch grappling. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I actually don't even watch MMA that much either.
1: Yeah. I don't either.
0: I'll do like highlights every now and then, like a YouTube will make a suggestion and I'll click on it and watch it and be like, yeah, that's good. That's cool. Right. But I like to do, I like to come up with my own things. And I used to, you know, obsessively watch judo as a young, younger guy, younger athlete, and it almost always created certain biases for me. Right. And somebody would say something um, in an instructional video and I would hang on to it. And I could never break outside of that because you know, I would have this tunnel vision of like this guy said I have to stand like that or that guy said I have to do it like this Mm -hmm. and it was very difficult for me to break through. So, I don't want to say like pollute my mind, but I don't want to create biases for myself when I'm thinking about martial arts on my own Mm -hmm. and I think about martial arts a lot. Yeah. So, I hate to say I don't watch it that much. I probably watch it more than I think I do.
1: Yeah. If you had to watch grappling, let's say, like what would be your would it be like an ADCC? Would it be IJF? What it, What would be your go-to if you had to pick?
0: Hmm, That's tough to say. You know, the Hungary, IJF did the Hungary Grand Slam, which is the first judo event in a very long time. And all the stars came out and I probably watched maybe 20 minutes of highlights. Mm. That was it. Yeah. You know, sometimes when the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu worlds come out, you know, I'll watch the highlights from that. And let me tell you something, man, it's there's a lot of judo throw, like a lot of throwing and takedowns in those highlights, too. Yeah. You know, which really does me no good. You know, I'm like watching it. I'm like, hell, that, that was a great throw, but I'm not.
1: You're not seeing the jujitsu as much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll watch, like, sometimes whenever, like, for instance, when Gordon did the thing with the wrestler. What was that guy's name? Bo Nickel. Yeah. Bo Nichols. I was very interested in that, you know, but I already knew going into it, these rule sets are really dumb.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, like I just, yeah, the crossover matches are kind of like, I mean, I guess they're kind of bridging the two worlds or they're trying to, but at the end of the day, it's like, what are we really doing here?
0: Honestly, God bless them for trying. Yeah. You know, and I'm very excited that that even happened, but Bo Nickel's going to win the wrestling match and Gordon's going to win the jujitsu match.
1: That's without a doubt. Oh, that one. I think you're talking about Pat Downey that they did. a.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. That one, that one was like, of course that guy's going to win in wrestling. Yeah. Of course, Gordon's going to submit him.
1: Yeah, well, the funny thing about that match was Gordon just had, like, a power lock on him, just had, like, a shoulder control, and you could tell Gordon could have he was like intentionally not submitting him. Like he could have easily choked him out yeah. when he was on the back and he, he was like yeah. intentionally not, maybe he was trying to weaken him because he knew later on he had to gr- wrestle this guy. Yeah, And then later on during the uh, pat Downey actually submitted to a, to, it wasn't even a submission. Even Gordon was like, When they called the match, Gordon was like not letting it go because he's like, it wasn't even a submission. Like he was intentionally not submitting the guy Yeah, and Pat was just like exhausted. And he's like, enough of this. I got to, I'm done.
0: You know what it is, man? I think uh, because you're not allowed to figure for the body in wrestling. So once he got figured forward and he was on all fours and Gordon tipped his body over to the side to take him back down. I think the fear of Pat blowing his knees out, right? Because it was such an un- familiar sort of movement uh that sort of kind of freaked him out and then when the power half was on and the body triangle was on he's like yeah you know what this is definitely not worth it for me to get messed up here yeah you know i'm a wrestler by trade this is an exhibition match for fun yeah i'm not risking this he's like i'm done i'm done i'm done yeah you know so i completely get it and i think that's the right move you know that he makes his living wrestling and uh even with the Bo Nichols thing. You know, so there's a part of me that was like, okay, if this guy is, he's very good at wrestling, could he have taken and put Gordon on his head, you know, when he did that suplex? Yeah. He could have, but he didn't.
1: And was he being safe with him?
0: He was being safe with him. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of issues there, I think. And But, you know, I'm just happy that it happened.
1: Yeah. It's kind of cool to see.
0: You know, I'm very happy that it happened. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, to answer your question, I will watch grappling but probably it's so hard to pick a favorite mm-hmm. i enjoy a lot of, even like sambo when they do their highlights it's amazing mm-hmm. i'll watch some freestyle wrestling when the freestyle worlds happen but i just can't really watch that much grappling
1: yeah i hear you
0: but I, then again i don't watch football basketball baseball i don't watch any sports
1: yeah neither do i actually what's your favorite part about being an instructor Ooh, that's a good one favorite part about being an instructor
0: I don't know, man. It feels good to gain all this knowledge and to teach it. It gives me sort of validation that people want to learn it, you know, which is kind of nice. You know, I spent so much time doing it and learning it that when someone cares enough about it to seek out the knowledge that I have, it makes me feel like, oh man, you know, like it makes me feel good, you know? And when we get into sort of the benefits of judo and jiu-jitsu and any sort of grappling, what it could do for the human, right? As a person, I could inspire them and help them and you know, make them feel good about themselves. And in return, I get inspiration back by seeing them uh, at their phase, whether it was yellow belt or green belt, overcoming certain issues. And, you know, I had to overcome those things too, right? Mm -hmm. At some point in my career. So it's a reminder of how I grew up with my dad and training and fighting. So it's kind of a beautiful thing, man. It takes me back. A lot of inspiration, you know, going both ways, people making good friendships, all that stuff. And, you know, having access also, as you know, having a gym, having a slew of people that are, you know, red and blue and, you know, opposite side of the political spectrum and different types of people coming together, learning. That's oh, just a great feel.
1: Awesome. Do you have like a favorite combo, like a standing attack that served you well over the years? Yeah,
0: I really like my fake step for the turn throw, right? If you have a good turn throw, you could fake that turn throw and then create tons of reactions. And once you're able to juke them and fake them, then you see what they're thinking. Right? You can see by their reaction how much they fear your turn throw, and you can base your skill set, your next attacks on that. And it's sort of one of my thing, like fight for position, dominate, fake a turn throw, and then chaining two or three techniques after that sort of is my favorite thing because it makes me feel really smart. You know, it's like, oh, I'm five steps ahead of you, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: Even though it's not as sophisticated uh, as I make it seem. Um, but it's one of my favorite things.
1: I like that fake step you do. It's, it's something that I'm trying to use in my game. Uh, I still haven't quite figured it out yet, but it's, uh, it's cool for sure. I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Quick step. Boom.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you, uh, do you do leg locks? A
0: little bit. Yeah. So when I train with my guy, Brian Glick, you know, if i said, Hey man, you got to teach me some of this leg lock stuff, you know, it's really cool. I know the basics. And then, you know, we'll go sometimes doing leg locks and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm sure when we train me and him, it's very boring for him to do the leg locks as my knowledge of it is not that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do some of it. And I think there's a, you know, I like how it's progressed over the last five years, this whole leg lock game and how there was a guy who really took an interest in it. You know, I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really, really cool.
1: What about Bolos?
0: I do a little barambolo, but I'm a much heavier guy, so I don't really try to do the inversion so much. And, mm-hmm. you know, I actually like being on top. Yeah. But I try it. I like barambolos. I'll do it. I'll try it. I'll go for sumigayashi to the inside sankaku, you know, leg lacing stuff. Yep. I'll do that. You know, all things grappling, I love it. And when I see a little bit of it, I'll always try it. You know, like I'm trying to do, I'm trying to refine my floating pass situation. Yeah. You know, when uh, as opposed to just being a pressure passing and I do a little bit of the quick sidestep, you know, Torreander and mm-hmm. uh X pass situation, but I wanna develop a lunge forward and do a floating pass. I haven't quite figured it out yet.
1: Are you talking about what Gordon's doing? Is that that the sort of floating pass you're talking about?
0: Uh I don't is is that one of his skills? that he does yeah
1: but it's he's he's a nogi fighter right so i don't know how applicable it yeah. is to the training you're doing i find i find in the gi doing the floating passing is difficult because just just a simple collar grip can can create kazushi right whereas in nogi they don't really have that ability
0: yes 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 yeah you're right about that you know i never thought about that that's, yeah see, i'm learning something today that's amazing
1: hey you and me both like i tried i when i watched gordon's dvd i tried to use it in the gi and then i realized like God like, yeah. goddamn every time i get here i just that my opponent off balances me and i have to put hands on the floor so it's almost smarter to yeah. stay low and sort of keep your head over their hips rather than bring your head over their head which is what gordon does in nogi right
0: can you do but don't you when you do the floating pass put hands on the floor
1: you're starting with your hands on the floor yeah but your opponent because your hands are on the floor if your opponent has like a pant grip. And an and a collar grip, yeah. Like that pant grip is so powerful. Yeah, you know what I mean. In nogi, oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. nogi, you don't have that. So, so you could totally like if your opponent steps inside into the headquarters position, you know, they have one leg in and you're on the bottom. If it's nogi, is this is not a good position, really? Like you're kind of yeah. you're kind of on the defense. This is where Gordon funnels his passes towards. But in the gi, yeah. if you have the pants and you have the collar, man, you can go right to De La Riva, You can elevate from there and and because you're controlling the pants by proxy, there's no, you know, it's hard to break that grip. So
0: what do you think about the knee reaping situation for the IBJJF?
1: Oh uh, well I mean they're only they're allowing it Yeah, like- they're only doing it for nogi, which is I think disappointing. I would love to see it I in the they're gi. I thought they were going to
0: do it in gi. I thought they were going to allow it in no, gi. No,
1: no. I there was a meme where it was a guy heel hooking a guy in the gi when the, when the news came out, but as far as I know it's brown and black level and it's uh no gi only. So I thought they were going to do it in the gi. Am I mistaken? Is that a rumor? I think you are mistaken, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: Oh, I you know I read that somewhere, or someone was talking about like, hey, did you hear IBJJF is allowing knee reaping
1: for you know gi? I don't, I don't think so, but I think they should. I, I mean, I, I think that at the black belt level, at least in the gi, you should be able to heal up people. And there's a ton of there's a ton of systems that haven't even been worked out. You know, using like a spider guard into a you know like all these open guards in the Gi game, if you allow them to do reaping and heel hooks, a lot of them change. Yeah. You, know, you have for to sure. be very careful about how you expose the Ashigurami now. So
0: yeah, yeah, that's uh, but true. as far as
1: I know, it's it, as far as I know, it is no Gi. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, almost done here. Uh, do you have any big injuries? I have a lot of
0: smaller ones. You know, I had a, uh, I dislocated both elbows. I dislocated a shoulder. I had, you know, articular cartilage and meniscus in my left knee. I broke my foot. I have a bone fusion in my right ankle. I had a couple concussions. I broke a rib. But none of them were, like, catastrophic, right? None of them are, like, I tore my ACL and, you know, I couldn't walk for whatever it is. And I did surgery. I broke my nose and I had to get it fixed. Just a bunch of little ones, I think. Um, I think the concussions are the ones that sort of, the ones I fear the most. I had, like, three or four good ones. And I'm at a point where I'm, like, man, I really, really don't want another concussion. And it's something that um will prevent me from competing at, in like the IJF. Like if U.S. Judo called me tomorrow and was like, hey, man, you want to go to this Grand Slam? That The first thing I would think is like, man, do I really want to risk getting another concussion? Like, you know, I know that's the wrong mindset, but I have a kid now. So it's like I have to really take that into account. And
1: yeah. I know a few people who have concussions and they say it's, it's by far the worst injury they've ever had, you know, and and one of the guys, one of the guys has had an ACL replacement. So he's saying the concussion is actually worse, just because your mind state is like, it's not in a good place when it's really bad, right?
0: definitely man And you get confused you forget where you were going
1: nauseous and all and you, that... you
0: misplace stuff nauseous and then you just get anxious sometimes and you, know, you forget what day it is or what week it is yeah you know i had one bad one where i competed in chile and i got thrown on my head and i was out of life for like a month like i had to take myself out of life yeah you know what yeah. i mean i gotta walk to the store and i would be like oh shoot what was i at the store for it's like man what day of the week is it like oh my god like i don't even know what year is it you know and then I will get anxious, like, oh, my God, like, I got to look at my phone or something to, yeah. and then be like, oh, shoot, it's freaking July, it's a Tuesday, I probably have to go to the dojo in a little bit. What did <laughs> I come, like, it was like, it was very scary, you know, it's like you having dementia or early onset Alzheimer's or something. So definitely don't want to get another one.
1: Yeah, I hear you. Okay, I got one more question for you. Perfect. Do you wake up sore every day?
0: No, I mean, depends on what I did the night before. <laughs> Like I lift, I've been lifting a lot during this pandemic. You know, the gyms have been open for like two months now, so I've been lifting pretty heavy. Nice. I definitely woke up sore today. I bought this fitness vest that you could load it with plates. Oh yeah, yeah. So I've been I did a lot of uh, you know, heavy dips, and I did heavy lunges. You know, I had fifty pounds to a hundred pounds loaded on plates, and I'm definitely sore from that.
1: But like day-to-day RANDORI, you know, when you, when you are doing RANDORI, I don't know if you're doing it every day or whatever, but when you're training full-time, are you generally like sore or?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Like not, maybe not Dom's like muscle pain all the time, muscle soreness, but like elbow hurting, my I wake up and my knees aching, you know, my back feels funny today. It's generally some sort of pain every
1: day if I'm grappling all the time. Yeah, makes sense. Cool. Yeah, you know this. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm always sore. But that was a, that was an awesome discussion. Um, You know, I really appreciate you taking the time to share some of your knowledge, especially in the gripping aspect. Uh, If there's nothing else you'd like to add, how can the folks reach you? How can they follow you? Any instructionals you want to push?
0: Yeah. So I have a judo fanatics, BJJ fanatics video series. You guys could follow me on YouTube. I have close to 70,000 subscribers and most of the stuff I put out is free. And I put out tons of stuff, you know, three or four times a week. So you could have a backlog of like 300 videos. You guys could check that out. You can find me on Instagram. Shintaro Higashi is. There's not too many of me. So if you type in Shintaro Higashi, you'll be able to find me. Yeah, please reach out. Ask tons of people already ask me questions. I can't get back to everybody, but people do ask. So yeah, if you catch me at the right time, you know I will respond and all that stuff. So. And thank you for having me man it was It was actually it was so hard to coordinate with you, right? I know yeah, we had some advocate, issues there. you're busy and then all this stuff, but I'm glad it was able to we were able to make it happen.
1: Oh me too. this is a huge pleasure for me, and you know I've had people in the BGj community message me about you actually, and they were I know a lot of people are looking forward to this episode, so awesome. It is really exciting and again i I just wanted to uh you know reconfirm what Shintaro was saying about his YouTube channel uh it's It's been a huge resource for me it's probably my favorite judo channel and just tons of information especially if you anyone can go to the gym and practice throws but if you don't have that context if you don't know what combos and sort of you know how you're standing and and little details that he shows when he's gripping it's it's a great resource so i i really appreciate that shintaro and I uh, would love to have you back anytime. And I do hope the best for you in your in your reopening and and uh, thank you. just the general well-being of New York moving forward. I hope everything goes okay with you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, again, just want to shout out to the patrons. Um, thank you very much for supporting the show. You guys are what keeps the lights on. Um, you can go to www.patreon.com slash BJJ Mental Models to support. That is the best way you can support the show um Shintaro thank you so much for coming on and uh if there's nothing else you'd like to add I hope you have a great day and uh good luck moving forward yep that's it all right guys thank you very much thank you very much have a good one Bye. bye